The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hey, this is Eric from the Megas. This is Greg from the Megas. This is Mikey from the Megas. This is Josh from the Megas. And we love Nerdy Show. Yeah, we love it. Boosh. Butterfly in the sky with robotic wings and eyes. Stickers look, it's in a book. Nerdy Show book. Books are like. Welcome to Nerdy Show Book Club. Nerdy Show is a weekly podcast that talks about everything geeky throughout the multiverse, and Nerdy Show Book Club is our every month or so show all about reading books. That's things without so many pictures in them. Just a few. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. I'm Tony. I'm Brandon. And I'm Colin. And we're here to talk about books, aren't we? Yes, we are. Uh, We are here to talk about, um, well, Nerdy Show Book Club, uh, for those of you just tuning in, Nerdy Show Book Club, we have a book that we discuss, well, that we read along with the Nerdy Show community. And then we discuss it on this episode. We also talk about what other books we've been reading. We I do, love it. This brings some... up this brings up my list of books I've read to three now. In oh total. my goodness! I know it's great. It's I like have a so new many. Thing. I have so many to do to catch up with you. This is my first time here. It's my first book ever. It's but, a new and, hobby. Uh, Brandon is our ticket to government subsidiaries because uh, we are. I've learned to read via the nerdy show. We're getting some government money from uh, <laughs> from little Brandon here teaching him how to read. So uh, the book of this particular Turn month is uh, Ready Player One. And uh, we have had a tremendous response to uh, to us reading this book, even though it was Colin's voice. I, I, we had the most response for Old Man's War too. So suck it, Hex. Yeah, I guess uh, you're good for something after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this going? It's going nowhere. It's going. <laughs> I hate you, Colin. Yeah. Ready Player One's written by a fellow named Ernest Klein. He's got a background in the uh, film and television industry. And in uh, such this is a way, his first book, right? It's, it's his, his first, first book. Yeah. But uh, before the book was even published, the movie rights were purchased. Well, okay, so they are making a movie, or they just someone has the Warner rights? Brothers. The, the, the rights have been purchased. So Warner Brothers owns the rights to uh, Ready Player One. I would like to see how they use all of the material in that. Yeah, book I'm ready to see the licensing minefield they're about to step yeah, into. Ready Player One is uh, it's an interesting book for the nerd community because it it's an is, '80s fanboy's dream. It, it is. It is basically made for the nerd community specifically. It, it requires a lot of knowledge about 80s centric pop culture and if you don't have that it might be tough to get into so if you're in the nerd community right now this is essentially what you and your friends have been talking about just written down in book form basically yeah i mean basically if you're listening to a podcast called nerdy show then you should probably read this book (laughs) yeah or or at the very least this book you are the target audience for this book Yeah. yeah yeah whether or not you're going to read read it well don't take our word for it so, um, like I said, we did have a, a massive response to this in the Nerdy Show forums. You know, when, when you guys are reading along with us, uh, we love to see what you're thinking. 
slew of comments and uh, lo- some people who, um, in fact, read this book in one sitting. Can you do that? Can people read a book in one sitting? I they can. Now. I can read. It I takes just, me two days to read it, like a video game manual. So I just, I just about <laughs> finished this in one sitting. Like I, I read one chapter, and then the next night I read two chapters. Then the next night I did not go to sleep. I will have to say I read it in about four poop sittings, which was pretty good. That's where I get all my reading done. If you haven't listened to the show before, pooped four times and I was done with the book. I was amazed. I couldn't. I couldn't get off the toilet because I was like, no, no, no. I need to eat more food and build up more poop because I really want to read the rest of this book. Sorrento's back. I need to take a shit. Basically, I just kept eating while I was on the can so I could keep reading. Oh God, it's a vicious cycle. It is, but I enjoyed it. It's, it's like, like fucking human centipede. It, it makes me like the book better because it's like I'm enjoying the book and something is being released from me. So it's like a double fuck. Yeah. I believe that's the human <laughs> shitipede. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus oh, Christ. Man. What oh, were yeah. you eating? That's the big question, though. <laughs> and there's your intro. <laughs> um, macaroni and cheese, which you would think oh, you would think would clog you up, but not when you have it with uh, laxative. <laughs> Jesus. He yeah. thinks of everything, kids. He thinks of everything. He um, does. When so, she's finally comes out with a laxative, shit. Literally. Craft lax? Oh, yeah. yeah. Steals this shit in the harbor. Cap, you were saying that most people, most people actually read it within a week, and but the one you were talking about who read it in a day was Cassie Muldrow. That's nuts. She's awesome. I, we all read it as fast as we humanly could, probably, because it does hit a point there where you're like, Ernest Klein has a knack for knowing what to end chapters on to make you go, oh, all right, keep, I'll just... A little bit more, and then you think you're going to stop in that, but you keep nope. going. If there's anything about this book that is truly a triumph, it is the pacing uh, yeah, that encourages readers to keep going. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this book, we, something we should actually we should probably back up, you'll know that there's, there's sort of a re- semi-regular cast for Nerdy Show Book Club, and uh, we tend to have a rotating spot. Today we've got Tony in our rotating book club spot. Hi, everybody. He is literally rotating. Wee. He is spinning around. Um, the reason he's he's here is um, not just because he read the book, but he also listened to the book. Yeah, there's an audio version of Ready Player One that's read by Will Wheaton. It tempers the book in a weird way that we'll get into when we get a little bit You're more. You're saying into I don't discussion. have to read? I can just listen to shit? Oh, it we is important. Have, we shouldn't have let that. Do on. they have audiobooks of Cliff Notes? Oh, so God. I can just be double fast. Mm, this is bad. We no. should no. They don't. Have, no, that's not. That's <laughs> the not government even, books the are government, not a real thing. The government I, didn't tell me this. No, you see, true. I actually hired Will Wheaton to read the book to me. Oh, I see. Well, he does anything for it money. It was pricey. So. Yeah. It was, but you know, that's my dedication to Nerdy Show. Yep. I needed to get on this book club thing that you guys were doing. I was tired of being left out, and Will, Will Wheaton. Wheaton was available. Will Wheaton. Will, <laughs> Will Wheaton. Going to this book, I had a few concerns. Was it any good? Obviously, right. Well, um, the, the thing is, is that it had been pretty hyped for a while now, and, and it, this this whole theory of it having this massive, you know, nerd credibility of like, oh, you'll love it. It talks about all the stuff you love. But I mean, you know, we do nerdy show because we like talking about this stuff. You guys listen to nerdy show because you you like talking st- slash listening to this stuff. You know, we have a functional, natural nerd community, and I worried that this book, this conscious deliberate message to our group slash sect slash generation of people would be too heavy-handed really pretentious and just take it too far and make me feel uncomfortable and they'd be exploiting the genre essentially the audience yeah yeah i you know i felt that was a pretty valid concern and based on some things i'd heard from people there was something people say a lot and i don't really understand it having read the book is people call ready player one twilight for nerds that doesn't make any mm. sense at all no there, there's nothing even remotely similar about I, that okay well, there's no pretty I, it, boys okay. i I, I read of... the first twilight oh 
Why would you? Why let would anybody you know do that? that? I, the, I I am ashamed to admit it. It's not on a blooper reel. That's sticking in the episode. I read the first Twilight. Now the reason why I read the first Twilight is because my wife, who is who is smarter than I am, uh, and reads infinitely faster than Keep I. Keep that do. up because she's going to be listening to this. Like, we'll go, we'll <laughs> she, go with it. Yeah, no, she read the first book and she was like, "You should read it," because I she was on the third book by the time I started the first one. And and you said she, she's smarter than you. Honestly, with Colin, that's not my much of a triumph uh. <laughs> she's, gonna, she's gonna hate all of you after this by the way so anyway the regardless the the book uh she was reading twilight and as she read twilight the first the main thing is that she reads exceptionally fast uh-huh. and i believe the reason why people are calling this twilight for nerds is because it is you can read it you get sucked in and you read it really fast now did you I get read sucked Ready in. One really fast, but I did not read Twilight very fast. Okay, so you didn't get myself. you didn't get sucked into Twilight. Did you get no, sucked off? There was any there was no sucking going on, despite no, the vampire. Well, oh no, things. there was sucking going on. Why not Harry Potter? <laughs> Why not Harry Potter? People get sucked into that shit and read the whole thing as fast as well, possible. The, the, yeah, Harry Potter's good. I kind of see where where they where they're coming from a little bit because there are parts of this book, and maybe it came across more in the audiobook than it did in the actual book, where it kind of plays out like this self-indulgent fantasy on the beha- on behalf of the writer yeah the i had big, the same problem one of the big things that you get into with twilight is that it reads like this is what stephanie meyer wrote when she was 12 <laughs> and then just got a slightly larger vocabulary took it to a publisher and there it ran and there are mm-hmm. parts of this book that really do feel like this is who i wanted to be as a kid these are all the things that i love and now it's a book and you enjoy but you really it, have to take like compelling. a leap to make it's, that connection it's still more compelling but there are still things that so don't... So you're saying this is to the nerd audience what that is to the... I, the tween age girl. Vampire that is, that is one element of Twilight. It's the weakest element of Twilight in the comparison. Like when people think of Twilight. The writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, to, it's it's <laughs> Basically, it's a it's an abusive relationship is what Twilight is. Twilight We're is not here girl, to talk about Twilight. It's one girl yeah, okay. between necrophilia and bestiality. I disagree with the comparison that this is Twilight for nerds. <laughs> Moving on. Should we uh, talk I, about... I'm just saying that I can recognize why people say it. Should we talk uh, about what I don't agree. I just about? think that it, it exists. Um, brief summary. Yeah, brief summary. Because nobody knows if they haven't read it what we're brief, talking about. Brief summary about. what the book's about. The book is set uh, in, a, in a near future where the energy crisis has gone haywire. Um, cities are pretty much the epicenter of the nation. America is a shadow of itself. People and, have like no food. They're homeless. Yeah, and really we're all... Uh, we're, all the attention is drawn is to escapism and something called the Oasis, which is essentially the full realization of a virtual world and sort of 90s virtual reality future plus second life. Then you get you get this this Oasis, basically, where anything is possible. You live like out people your go to school in it. People play mm-hmm. games in it. You can do absolutely anything. I kind of hate to use USA Today's quote about the book as an example, but they kind of summed it up. It's the Matrix meets Willy Wonka. Yeah, it's kind of, I can kind of sure. see that, actually. Well, the story, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, it's it like is. the logical, the Oasis is the logical conclusion to the MMO, mm-hmm. essentially. Right, so, so what is the premise of this the, book? The, the premise is that um, uh, the fellow who invented the Oasis dies, and he very publicly leaves a message that he will give his entire kingdom like like control of the company and all the wealth that goes with it to someone who finds an Easter egg that he's hidden in in the game, it is a momentous challenge and a momentous prize. And he is obsessed with 1980s culture, as that's when he grew up and started gaming de- game development and all that. And essentially, in order to find this Easter egg, you have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of that culture. The country goes crazy for it, 
Years pass, they can't find. Well, the anything. entire world goes crazy. Yeah, the, for the, it. the whole yeah, the whole world goes crazy, and then and a whole culture comes to be based around finding these Easter eggs. They're called Gunters, which is short for Egg Hunters. Eventually, someone does find it, and it's an eighteen-year-old kid, and this is his story. And it's kind of the it's the events that happen from that point forward, and mm-hmm. it's it's about the uh, the mysteries of of decoding all these clues, the social situations of this future society as to what happens when something like that goes on and the economics of it because there's a lot of people who want to seize control of uh, of this company because it's basically where the world goes to hang out. It, it basically has one of the highest this like simulation has one of the highest economic values in the world. Yeah, it was well, like it's real also currency. probably it was the highest because I yeah. mean imagine, you know, Ultima at one point was the 13th richest uh, country in the in the world. <laughs> and and this is sort of an extension of that very idea. And it's also to play in uh, a big detail is that Oasis it costs money to start, but there's no monthly it's a fee quarter. or anything. Yeah. It's a quarter to sign up for it for the first time, harkening back to the whole arcade thing that the character Halliday was really big into. And, and so, then boom, free from there. Microtransactions are the way of the future. Thank you, EA. And <laughs> yeah. so with all of essentially the world's commerce going on in here, there's a big drive to want to own this company to monetize it. Right, because at and that so, point, and, that, and that's where the um, villain, you know, the big bad comes into play is essentially this giant company, uh, IOI, which is going after the egg just as much as these gunters are, and they're uh, like going after the the um, the prize just as much as these gunters are, so they can be in control of the oasis, and then in turn charge a monthly fee and etc. So that they can. Um, it's going you know, back to the uh, the Willy Wonka so. comparison. It's basically Sugsworth, you know, like yeah. it's it's the Slugworth. But he turned out to be a test. Wasn't that guy just an agent of of the company? He, uh, he yeah. was an agent of Wonka, right? So it yeah. was it was not the company itself wasn't wasn't a, a ruse. It yeah. was, that it's was not just a that perfect guy. analogy. And anyway, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's what the if? whole idea of what if Slugworth was real. The the culture is really interestingly presented. Uh, the dynamics of this uh, semi-apocalyptic future are, are very interesting. The lot, the, both the social and uh, uh, political ramifications of it and economic ramifications of it are, are well handled. And we'll get into all that shortly. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what you guys, the listeners, thought about this book. And then we're going to share uh, our thoughts with you and do a dramatic reading of a scene from it but before then we got to track what is it going to be hex well uh since this is a uh, book is steeped in 80s culture i thought i'd have uh, a bunch of 80s covers from their recent so this entire episode is going to be 80s covers yeah well, that's it's, cool it's three songs so it wasn't really that hard the to whole episode like. <laughs> the entire <laughs> episode yes All of it. they'll be playing constantly in the background no they won't <laughs> I don't have that many covers. Shut up. What we have is from the one-hit wonder Corey Hart, his sunglasses at night. We have the Megas rendition of that from their single, Fly on the Dog.
my name while you collect your claim And I wear my sunglasses at night so I can, so I can See the light that's right before my So now we're going to uh, talk about what you guys thought about Ready Player One. Shared a bunch of thoughts with us in the forums as as you read it, um, and and just after you read it, all in one sitting. <laughs> yeah, Speed yeah. Actually, uh, Starf kind of Starf actually started the discussion on the forum, which was awesome. Thanks, thanks, Starf. That was you go, great. Starf. Starf. Yeah. Starf. Starf. <laughs> Starf. One of his quotes. Uh, one of his qu- the quote from the forums was that. I thought when I was listening to the podcast that maybe I would be a little turned off by all the 80s references you guys talked about, seeing as how I was born in 1990. Obviously, I'm going to know a lot of it, but I didn't necessarily grow up with it, so I didn't know. But nothing is diminished even when I don't get the reference. So basically, he's saying that even though he did not necessarily grow up in the 80s and he didn't get every single reference, he really enjoyed the book. I mean, it's true because I, I was born in the 80s, but like I was still young by the time the 80s ended. So I don't remember a damn thing about it, but I still get a lot of the references. Somehow. Well, I mean, I was born in 1984, but I've willingly absorbed all that culture. I mean, it was it was still good timing for it, you know, Lady Hawk. Mm-hmm. 
Lady Hawk. I think I just watched a lot of reruns of everything in the 90s. So I got my 80s culture in the 90s. Mm. Yeah, I had, I had parents who just were a big fan of all the movies from there. So a lot of the films that are referenced in this, I've seen. I grew up with the John Hughes stuff. I grew up with anything really featuring Matthew Broderick. So a lot, having this in the book was like... What were some of the your favorite references in the book? I mean, because this book, they the big draw is Cap just said it in the beginning in the intro is that there's a there's tons of references that everybody goes, oh, my God, that's so great. What were some of the things that made you that really caught you off guard and excited you? And one of the some of the things that made you go, oh, really? The thing that made me most excited was at the very beginning when they're talking about the video and the background music is Dead Man's Party Boingo Boingo. At that point, I was all, OK, I'm going to like this. Because uh, I am a total Oingo Boingo fanboy, so I was really excited that, that that was deemed cool enough to be incorporated with all the rest of the, uh, the, the 80s references. Yeah, Cap, I was interested because as I was reading it, the very <laughs> first time that I read it, because I, when I read it with uh, Nerdy Show Book Club, that was the second time that I read it. Right. But the first time I read it, I was interested because I was like, holy shit. That's a like, you know, we've grown up together, so I know all the things that you like for the most part. And the I, as you know i was reading I like it, it i was like cap loves this <laughs> yeah uh-huh. cap loves this uh-huh. cap loves this yeah holy fuck cap loves all these things that they are pointing out in this book so it's what it's funny what, how you you, you know what cap likes more than your wife isn't that weird <laughs> <laughs> is that, what does it say about you colin that, well i mean we've like, known I, each other longer yeah you yeah. have yeah you have he knows how to fondle you he's impregnated me more often <laughs> It's true, ah. I have. Brain babies. Continue on. Jelly babies. Anyway, yeah. Jam buddies. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. The thing, the thing about this book, the thing that made me so apprehensive, was it's so easy to, uh, to name drop. And, uh, right. and to, to get people off just by mentioning things. I mean, it's like, you know, family, family Guy's comedy, the reason it failed is that, it, you know, as, as a, as, I mean, obviously it's doing very well, but the reason that it, it failed to us, the, the, the reason that it's crashed and burned as far as people who were fans of it when it started is that it shifted over into a format that was so referential that it's just, it's just, you know, you get sick of it. To me, when he pulled up to the, the ball, the gala uh-huh. in the DeLorean with the Ghostbusters logo and the the buckaroo bonsai device yeah i was like this is just you're just he's masturbating he's masturbating all over the page he 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 is but here's the thing about this book i've I've discussed my apprehensions uh, a lot because i wanted to i want everybody to know just how critical i was looking at this book and how ready I, i i was not i was not set out to hate it but how you know ready i was to to find it lacking however even in an instance as excessive as that i feel that klein actually earns all of it it's the, the from the first page it did uh, when in the first page they say uh drop the line from ghostbusters that we ourselves are guilty of doing every other episode cats and dogs living together mass hysteria and i felt like that was i was like i, I read it and i groaned i was like oh it's gonna be like this huh because it's obvious i mean we do it all the time so it must be obvious right mm-hmm. um <laughs> so uh but that was it that was the one instance that i didn't really truly feel was earned he created a situation that lends itself so perfectly to the excess of all these name drops and everything that I felt that um, even in the in the craziest scenarios, it still fit within the world he created so much that it really truly validated all this stuff. So his his Uber car, his eighties Uber car, it's kind of brilliant. It's like, of course, in this world, that makes complete See, sense. See, I felt the opposite. I felt like the author was looking for a reason to write a bunch of references for the eighties, 
And I felt like he created this entire story for that. Now, I love this book and I love this story, but the opening really, the beginning of the book really irked me because it's like, and then I walked into this room and there's like a Back to the Future poster and Ghostbusters and then this song from like, this 80s song was playing and he had this old 80s system. It's like everything 80s. I'm like, I get it. I get it. You love the fucking 80s. I fucking get it. Moving on to the story. But it's like, Every scene, he has to describe everything that's 80s related. And it really bothered me like he was just doing it on purpose. And I understand the plot is you have to obsess about the 80s in this book in order to find this Easter egg. So I get that. But it's just, it was so overwhelming. I was like, if this was a movie, it would be better because you wouldn't have to keep describing it. I could just see it and we would move on. There's a lot of that throughout this book. I really think it does work almost better as later a movie. on it works really well just at the Though, beginning i was like mm. i actually i will disagree with you on the beginning because mm. i felt the beginning was one of the strongest parts of the book that opening chapter hooked me in such a way because it's that same it's the scene from the opening of willy wonka you you're introduced to this enigmatic character you're introduced to this this contest and you're though it's world building in the best way you're showing in that first chapter he's really showing you and not telling you well i like that part with i mean even even as he's describing in intricate detail everything that's Mm -hmm. in this he's showing you what this character was he's showing you all of holiday's obsessions and how important it was to him how he didn't function in the real world but just how well this oasis that he created for himself essentially fit him but that first chapter also is where i start to run into somewhat of an issue because we're introduced to the character as a first person omniscient because he's telling the story from the from in the future but there are times when he almost like flashes back to the present tense as he's going along and i that kind of inconsistency as i was going along kind of drew me out of it a little bit but that could have also been because this is a book you need to read This is not a book you need to listen to. No. Right. Yeah, right, don't right, don't right. let Will Wheaton talk to you uh through your Tony, tell us earphones. tell us your experience with, with your your first experience with Ready Player One. Well, yeah, <sighs> because Studio Studio Malam from the forums, he listened to he listened to the audiobook by read by Will Wheaton and he loved it. So <laughs> what what uh what Never do you think old. about it, Tony? Yeah. Nothing Will Wheaton does could possibly be better than like something else. Shut uh, up, well, Wesley. <laughs> shut up, Wesley, off my first bridge. off. Will Wheaton is very good at playing a particular kind of character. He's not good at growing a beard. He, well, he's decent at growing a beard. However, mm. he is very, very good at playing an asshole. <laughs> he's not playing. So he nailed Sorrento. <laughs> he nailed Sorrento. The problem is I'm meant to relate to Parzival. Mm-hmm. And to have Will Wheaton's voice reading kind of nasally about everything that's going on, talking down to me in a very condescending way, starts to wear on you after a while so it gets to be all the references come off as being smug as fuck i know this absolutely and there is in in reading this book because i've had the opportunity to go back and read it especially after everybody else because i came away from it going like yeah it's it's good but uh, there was a lot like why the hell did you listen to it punctuation makes this book (laughs) (laughs) so you're you're saying will wheaton doesn't do that very well no i'm not it has nothing to do with will wheaton it has to do with the fact that as an audiobook first chapter and you guys can all attest to this there's a lot of asterisks going into further detail as to what's going on in this scene now picture Mm -hmm. for a moment that all of those were read out wait he reads those out Uh what and (laughs) the scoreboard Everybody who's read this book knows the scoreboard. Oh, and you know he, that you've got oh, about Jesus. four names. Does he read you've every got single line of the scoreboard? Every time it shows up through the <laughs> book. <laughs> With all of the, the sixers numbered. I-O-I, six, five, seven, five. I was like, oh my God. Every single time 
That's and there's this thing that Klein does throughout the book, and I, I still have a little bit of a problem with it in the written version in comparison to where it was, but he doesn't, he, it's like he knows that he's writing to the nerd audience with the references he makes, and like with the Ghostbusters thing, he just drops that line, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria, right? and just leaves that there. Yeah. It doesn't go into, that's a line from the Ghostbusters released in this year of this time with these actors, and it was written, but then you go into something else. Like explaining what XPs are in intricate detail. And it's like, especially when you're listening to this and you know that he's about to go on a 10 to 15 minute explanation (laughs) to something that you know inside and out because you are as deeply steeped in this culture as Ernest Klein is. I was going to say, if you don't know what XP is, why the fuck are you reading this book? It's not for you. No, here's the thing though, Brandon, because what's interesting that that you say that, Tony, is that I think that, you know, the cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria, I don't, even if it's not necessarily uh, pointed out as to where it came from, like essentially like, so it's like you're not reading an essay and, and having citations, you know, there, you don't necessarily need a citation from that particular quote because it's, you know, it's going to be funny regardless. But the thing is, is that like things like XP or the description of Artemis's name mm-hmm. and the fact that she has a three in the middle of her name uh alicia when she read it that's she Colin's was wife con- that's my wife yeah she was confused that's my wife that's my wife and she <laughs> was confused when she read it um is, is she know, not she, a nerd and i understand she that to an extent is, but of different things she is a Twilight. complete book nerd and she like victorian england like that kind of that kind of a so nerd. not leet speak nerd yeah not leet speak nerd more, so she doesn't necessarily Grantham. understand XP and all that kind of stuff. So that actually really, she really appreciated a lot of that. So not knowing uh, that stuff, she still enjoyed the book, though. She loved it. She loved. She's never played an MMO in her life, and she so these the explanations are basically for people who don't understand that culture but still want to enjoy the book. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, apparently it works, which is okay. great. Kind of surprising, mm-hmm. really. But even yep. then, it's like the XPs were mentioned before he went into the long diatribe as to what it was. Before we get into, to, I guess, Im- talking about improvements on the book, let's uh, let's back up a little bit about the the story for people who are tuning in, who are just enjoying the discussion and not not understanding you know, what the hell not, you're not, not reading along with us. What you get is you get you get some really exciting moments. You get uh, the first. And this is this well, basically, is well, the, this the, is spoiler the goal country is to here, find but, uh, the egg. Yeah. But there are clues and keys along the way. Right, to you got to you, you, you get three. You got to get three keys, three doors, and three and open three doors, and then you you get the final. And they're story. all hidden. And yeah. they all have challenges. They're all have clues. And and the world is, I mean, it's as big as a virtual world is, which is to say, infinite. There are millions no, of it's people, millions and millions of planets, each of which are rendered in complete detail. It's you can it make whatever infinite. you want. You yeah. stare into the abyss, and so well, it yeah, could be anywhere. Where, where there's different levels of uh, there's different levels of of immersion into the oasis. Basically, the way that the oasis works is that you have to have a visor to and a glove, and haptic and gloves, haptic gloves. So you have haptic gloves, but then eventually, like you can upgrade your rig, and so you can have you can actually run, and by running, that causes your avatar to run, and then you can have an even better tactile experience by have wearing a haptic suit and you can hook up an exercise you know, program to it, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but like in terms of the size of the world, every single universe in nerd culture exists. All of Azeroth is in there. All of uh, every single MMO that ever existed is in the Oasis. There are worlds Star Trek devoted next to Firefly, to, next to Star Wars, next to the DC Universe Online, next to <laughs> Aliens, next to whatever. Which the hell. bizarrely didn't have Stephanie Brown. 
and anyway, the, the the first the first key is found in a. Are we are we doing spoilers? We're is doing it cool. Yeah, well, we're, no, fuck we, it. You should have read it because we told you. We well, were I, reading I already it. I did a little thing yeah. a couple minutes ago. You may have heard we're it. In yeah. Spoiler um, country now. Anyway, we're in spoiler country. Um, it's a very exciting book because it presents you with with neat things where you're, you're watching this character figure it figure this out, and eventually he realizes that one of the the this riddle was talking about a very specific module of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, he figures out where in the universe it, the module is uses it to get through the the dungeon and so on and then the last the, the and that well the funny part is, is that he's like what like level three and he's, yeah. he does he's a poor person in real life he's got no money to like go to he's, other planets he lives in the slums so yeah. he's been he's been getting dropped off by high level people to fight like kobolds and like level one characters for years just to get to like level three and four so he like the dun the first dungeon he goes to where this key's in there's just like monsters and things that like are totally beyond him yeah and what's, you know, what's interesting is that you, did you guys have is, issue with figuring anything out? Did you figure out where it was prior to when Klein described where it was? Because God, no. Uh, Are you yeah, insane? Durafago said that he figured the r- first riddle out pretty quickly and was wondering why no one else had figured that out in five years. He's like, why are people so dumb? Did he? Are you serious? Because I, mean, I, I could not figure out. I any mean, there are some people like, like I'm personally horrible with riddles, so. I I look I read a riddle I'm like oh okay I'll wait till you figure that you to explain this. How, to how me. would he know that like Holiday's favorite like game back in the day was like this one D and D manual before no, they no, even no. described well, it, it does, in the book? It does ex- like that is an actual D and D module. So it I guess is, if you're way into D and D from the 80s, then yeah, that's you might. the whole point. But then it's like, do you know that that's Holiday's? And maybe he knows that Latin people who have much to learn. Yeah, and it's, you know you have a. D- but then d- it's d- like he had to find out where I, I, this was located in the universe. You know, personally, I knew the book was going to tell me sooner or later, so I didn't devote any time into figuring it out. <laughs> but off <laughs> but the top of my head, Durafago is just that sharp. He he's, knew all he's that. A genius, yeah. I guess. Yes, we do have to clear up though. Initially, is that when we talk about Halliday, Halliday is the person who was running is the is the 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 dead the designer, dude. the dead designer who created the Oasis. Who is he's the one who was is running everything. Um, and then also the um, main character, his name is Wade, and his avatar's name is Parzival. So just want to get that out of the way. And it's only Parzival because yeah. Percival, one of the knights of the round table, was already taken, obviously. So we had to right. change it. To Clearly. Parzival. Clearly. Duh. Every name I choose nowadays is fucking taken. Even ones I created myself back in the day. <laughs> so fucking gotta add zeros and shit. <sighs> Assholes. Fucking bitch and steal my name. <laughs> anyway. In, in, in other news. Well, I have to say that the book, I think does a good job at grabbing everyone but it does it at different parts which i found unusual mm. there are different there are there's a, a spot for each one of us where it suddenly it's like you can't stop reading it and mm-hmm. for mine it was like at the beginning i said i, I kind of had trouble getting into it because of all the 80s references and i don't really give a shit mm-hmm. <laughs> even though i got them i just was like okay i get it right but then there's a point where he meets sorrento and i want to say face to face but the like, guy it, who who leads the evil corporation yeah the ioi mm-hmm. or whatever it's called then shit gets real and i was like are you kidding me did that just happen in this book? What the fuck? I didn't realize the book was going to go this like this type of direction. And from that yeah. point on, I was like, I cannot put this book down yeah. ever. That's you, what you know, happened for me. You too. realize you how high the stakes are. They're yeah, very you're like, high. wait, did that that happened? What? what? Okay, no, I'm reading more. Just, and I thought that was brilliant on Klein's part to take it from you're you're dealing with a a, a predominantly MMO completely virtual space where yes if you die you lose your character and all this kind of stuff blah 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 blah. but <laughs> like the stakes are not high and but what if the stakes regard? were like you are going to die in real life you know, right. and, and, huh? and, 
RL, you are going to die. And, 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 it not, just, and like, not just not just kill you, but it's done in the most like cold, like, unfeeling, brutal your corporate. Parents, like, your neighborhood, everyone, and they'll think it was an accident. And we're there right now while you're here. And it's like, oh fuck, you are fucked. And spoilers, by the way. No, I I <laughs> love that's another I everything from him discovering where it was up to the explosion. Yeah. I was so ridiculously caught up in every problem that I had with Will Wheaton having to go over everything was gone. The writing was, like, was that good that you're like, I don't care if Will Wheaton's telling it to me now. I'm enthralled with this. I'm, pretty much. But it, then it, there was this weird kind of let off with that. And I had a hard time believing that an 18 year old kid was going to be smarter than a giant corporation. And he was you know how to, smart kids are now? I see five year olds using iPods and iPads better than I fucking know how and hacking computers and shit, dude. I mean, really, uh, they'd be to, having sex in elementary to, school now to, to try to, <laughs> to, no try, to try to award myself with a no prize here. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's mostly a matter of the big corporation is uh, obviously just judging by the way they operate in this book, in this universe, they're so uh, blinded by their own superiority compared to everybody else that they it's the sort of thing they just take it for granted. They're they, sniffing their own farts. But they do, they, they, they do they, talk about how they hire every they, expert and they, person. They, experts are only as good as the information that they know when it when it comes when it comes to like, you know, thinking of something like, well, you know, why would the kid not be in the house why would he why would he have like a secret lair they did they just you know they just do what they need to do and this is they, they think yeah. they think you know they think he lives in the stacks he lives in the slums you know they they assume that they know what he's capable of and they underestimate him because they don't know what that is like they and don't. also everyone in this world is pretty much stupid because they're all poor they're all hungry and i'm just like it's basically there's a system of indentured servitude so all these people that work for this major corporation are basically slaves and i do get that i do but his character kept going around. He kept doing stuff. And I felt like eventually he would have been tracked down. I mean, they there was the, I went onto the black market and purchased myself a new identity that seemed kind of like a deus ex easy way out in a way. Yeah. No, it, no, it, it totally was. There was like, it, it and totally it, that, was. That kind of, that took me out of the, it took me out of the like rise. But what I about gotten. the part when he talks about when like the IOI, they run all of the internet connections. So we had to use one that wasn't owned by them. And I thought that was pretty clever. No, that was clever. Then they but it was a lot directly. of, it still seemed like it was so very convenient that there happened to be one mm. that they didn't own. And we just my, it, it there. kept pushing my suspension of disbelief. I don't know if that's to the convenient. Point where, I think that that's just accurate world building, honestly. No, and maybe it is. Maybe if I had read this book reading it first, I wouldn't have been so taken out of it. But when I'm dealing with the letdown from the adrenaline coming off... Will Wheaton's droning nasally voice. What happened is he, Will Wheaton hyped you up and then he let you down. It was he Will did. Wheaton that let you down. It was, but it was the pairing of Will Wheaton with the words on the page. And I feel it's like, like if, if you I have was, the wrong type of fruit with the wrong type of cheese, it doesn't work out. Pretty much. You need the right pairing. Hex. Because again, I still, I want <laughs> I do want to stress that I enjoyed this book. I listened through to the end to find out what happened to these characters because the characters are written well. I enjoyed, I honestly, I enjoyed learning about the other characters in this world more than I enjoyed le learning about Wade. One of the things Who that is absolutely, parsable. yeah, one of the things that I absolutely love about this book, though, is it does with the socially, the social awkwardness of yeah. finding out what a person's really like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Versus what their avatar online is. And at some point they have they do have to deal with that you know are you male are you female are you a 40 year old dude in the basement hitting on me like, like yeah so i mean it's really funny all that shit okay so let's let's uh, let's hear a little bit more from what people thought from the forums uh, on the forums a lot of uh, a lot of people were talking about how they 
felt that Parzival was so good at so many things that they thought that it was it was convenient that he was so good at all of these things. Starf thought that as as well as uh, Gary Yur, they they felt that he was just too potentially too good at see um, i understand that but at the same time they're trying to describe a character in the book that this is all he's ever done his whole life this is constantly be in i think the thing is this is an adventure and entertainment story and the fact is the only way this story could be told is if it was told by the person who won the contest right and the person who won the contest is going to be the person who's qualified to win the contest but even so later on the other characters even themselves don't believe that he has done some of the things that he's done. And they, he actually writes that into the book. Like, closer to the end, they're like, you actually did this by yourself? Like, that's impossible. How did you do this? I mean, like, Artemis didn't believe that he had... Like, infiltrated and did all that shit in real life. And she's well, like, no, no, the, the, and that stuff, too. At the very beginning, that yeah. he would have actually, on his first attempt, yeah. won the joust against the Lich. Yeah, and see, like, all, even other characters point out that this character is too good to be true, which is kind of funny. Parzival is OP, this campaign is broken. Yeah, <laughs> but so. no, I, I I see where they're coming from, but I see also enough failing. There are so many faults in these characters. Yeah, and, and the main I, character fails several times and realizes it, and he's like, "I am a fucking idiot." <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I mean, look at—he had no idea where the fuck to go for the yeah. second key, and he was being lazy as hell. He was being lazy as hell. Third key, depressed. Don't even don't even get me started on yeah, third key. Even, third he, key he, was sad. He just, was just he sad. Just fucked up. So it wound up being that he was good at what he needed to do there. Yeah. But it's kind of like having a hammer and no nails. And he actually, he wasn't good enough to find some of the keys and to the point where like he was like, okay, I can't do this. So in the real world, I'm going to do this and see if I can fuck these people over because there's no way I'm doing this or winning. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Cassie uh, Muldrow said. She said that um, she didn't find it strange that Parsifal was so good at the majority of tasks and that she felt that he, he had still enough difficulty it, yeah. with... Yeah, he had enough difficulty with deciphering the clues to balance out how good he was at figuring out um, when he got to the keys and the gates. Mm-hmm. To go back so. to the construction thing, just because you can actually build the house doesn't mean you can design it. Exactly. Right. So I, I feel that the other characters did balance. Because again, I love these other characters. H was exceptionally compelling. I really yeah. enjoyed Artemis. Shoto and Daito were a lot of fun. I liked seeing that kind of brother dynamic because I'm a big fan of brothers in anything. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were just, they were compelling. I wanted more of them. Especially, he's, he's especially a big fan of uh, Brocess novels. It's really, yes, it's really yes, I thing. am. And Supernatural. And Supernatural. Well, Brocess now. Brocess yeah, like, novel, Brocess TV super, show. Supernatural uh, erotic fan fiction, Ninja Turtles erotic <laughs> fan fiction, anything with uh, brothers kissing each other's dicks. That's, that's Tony Muldoon for you. Oh, God, guys, guys, please. I need to record. I need to record and go to my cold place. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> what were we talking about before that happened? Uh, <laughs> the other characters in the book yeah. and how great. I even, I really wanted to know more about Sorrento. Mm. I really wanted to know more the, about there, Sorrento. There is a story there. There's definitely a story there. Like, uh, and there, I mean, he's a just a corporate it. goon who gets paid a shit ton of money. No, to no, no. He, no, he's, he's not. He, he designs, he designs some very compelling role-playing games. In the oh, past. that's right. They did talk about how he, back in the day, he was a, a designer and creator that he got recruited. Mm. And he skills. Was, I mean, he's the one who's I mean, that's willing why he's so to good. pull the trigger. To kill an eighteen-year-old boy, they're so blinded by their greed of of wanting to get 
Halliday's, you know, egg and that they they will stop at nothing but then to I, win this contest. I don't even see Sorrento as being the guy who will stop. Sorrento, to me, is kind of like Slade Wilson, a Deathstroke, where he's a mercenary, a gun for hire. Pretty he's much, he doesn't paid. run the company. He, he works doesn't, for He it. gets paid for them, so he, it's not his greed that's doing this, necessarily. But it's, he does take it personally at well, some I mean, point. I disagree, yeah. because he's the one who always is constantly the in the book, when they go through the gate, and they find, and then later on in the book, IOI is the one who actually figures out one of the keys in the gates before the our hero Gunters. And Sorrento is always the first IOI avatar to go through the gate and get the key. Always. The first one. Right. I would argue less greed, more pride. Hubris. Maybe like I, I think I, I definitely I like the comparison of of uh, of Slade Wilson, where it's like he is he. Yes, there is a there's a reason that he's doing what he's doing and it's money, but he it's, could be doing a lot of things right now. He's doing what he's doing because he loves it. He also might be killed if he doesn't do what he's doing. We don't know that the, co- the corporation was pretty um, dismissive of him. You know, they were they were ready to, to, to throw him away simply to to get a, a that was a hilarious so. part. By yes. the way, when he's like, I'll give you this information, but I want your job. I bet your higher ups are listening to this right now. Have they agreed to that? And he's just like, damn it. He's like, yes, they have. <laughs> and he's like, never mind then. But I wanted you to know that. And like, <laughs> and he's like, you shouldn't have done that. And, then, really and then this shit gets have. even worse. <laughs> Fuck your stack, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it was great. Uh, we definitely need to put a disclaimer for this episode. Like, if you want any enjoyment from this book, please, for the love of God, read it yeah. before you listen to all of these spoilers. And mm-hmm. we'll wait in reading it. Yeah, don't, don't, and please do not listen to it. <laughs> uh, I didn't fully get information from you guys as to what was something that was really a reference that really surprised you guys. We kind of got uh, off on a little tangent, but was there, yeah, well, was there something that, uh, that really surprised you? Well, I mean, or, or excited your nerd cockles? <laughs> my nerd cock honestly always my, at least for me outside of the lady hawk reference because i'm a huge lady hawk nut war games being the the first co- i did yeah, not see that coming i was kind of excited it was like, about hold that. on a second what no wait explain that part to me again because it was i haven't oh I wait after they pass through the first gate and they're enacting war oh, games? you're like you're like okay so they go through the first gate and you're like oh what's this really hard challenge what monster is he gonna fight what puzzles is he gonna have to and solve and it's like, like reenact war games scene for scene word for word gesture by gesture i'm not, I'm not lying the moment i finished the book or you put on war games yeah or your so character excited. dies and actually uh war games was something that i've heard of for a very long time but never actually seen what? oh did well, you go I, and see it same thing I, for me yeah, same I, thing for me i, I uh, read the book before i saw war games it, it's been it's been hovering in my netflix instant queue for a couple years now oh. so i just i saw that i saw that that was the case i things weren't cru- my my list of things to do was not crushing me so i went over and i watched war games oh how was it it was very good yeah. i enjoyed it quite a bit it's amazing yeah. how it still stands up it does it's, it's very good i mean it's i like to think of uh war games is a is is someplace in between uh like miracle mile <laughs> and real genius like it's uh yeah, have you seen project x yet or whatever that's called no uh, the one with the monkeys and matthew broderick that one's a sad movie Except yes, it mon- is. Except that, you know, fuck monkeys. <laughs> Brennan Bren hates monkeys. <laughs> like, like Star Fox. Ugly. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so it's like it's like kind of a, it's a lighthearted uh, 80s nuclear war paranoia film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no, Gary Err actually said that he, one thing that he found is that anything referenced in Ready Player One is great. Whenever he's bored, he looks up a reference in the book and he looks at, it, he, he looks for a reference in Ready Player One, looks it up. And it's always great. Super Man. So, yeah, Super Man. Yeah, that was that was a 
that was a weird one. That's one that I, I know of and have very limited experience with. I'm always thrilled to know that there's there's people out there in important places who, you know, support Buckaroo Bonsai and the Bonsai Institute. I think that's that's a very that's very important to me to know that that's I like when when he references things without calling attention to his references. Uh, when Parzival was infiltrating IOI and he just like just threw out a couple casual um, Brazil references for you know for no reason just there there they are. Wait, did you know, he? I may not have gotten there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen that movie too. But it's Sam Lowry, uh, Harry Tuttle or Harry Buttle. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, that's where that's from. Yep. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Yeah, it was it was it was cool to just you know to to see that in there. Mostly, yeah, I chuckled to myself I, on that one too. You know, they're not they're not laugh out loud things, but it's it's just fun acknowledgements. And you know, they're I, Easter I, eggs. Yeah, they they are. <laughs> you know, if if you if you like you know referencing things, then I'll party on. I guess the so, book itself is riddled. With well, Easter there eggs. actually is any. There was an Easter egg in this. There was a, yeah. There was a competition to win a DeLorean in the in the paperback edition of uh, Ready Player One. Wait, seriously? Seriously. seriously. Fuck! Did you get it? No, idiot. Well, actually, uh, Florida, no, Florida, Florida was win. yeah, it was some kind of some kind of Florida law per, uh, prohibits people from having participated in contests <laughs> from owning DeLoreans. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? It kills too many birds when you open those sideways doors. They think it's a giant bird. Hold it just on, flies there was a it. there was a Florida law against us even participating. Yes. Yep. Why? I don't recall. It was like participation. Everyone like people who were around in the eighties living in Florida right now. <laughs> it was unfair. I, I I remember when this came out. I was looking at the clauses and was scanning through it and saw like that Florida was not they couldn't participate. So, well, what was this like Easter egg? What did you have to do? I mean, it's a book. What what could you possibly? There was something done? in the book. There it was, was essentially just like what Halliday had done. But with how his could Easter you have even hunt? known what it is? It's just all text. Well, that's the thing. There were like some misprints or something like that. And God and also it. that I think I think the the trail of clues started on the cover. There was a new cover created for it with a with a picture of a stack. Well, that's what the stacks look like. That's fucking scary, isn't it? <laughs> that shit is scary. As far as uh, as far as the 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 book on the whole goes, I was pretty satisfied with it. Like I I didn't expect to enjoy it. I did end up, end up enjoying it quite a bit. I'm I'm conflicted over where the book ends. It, yeah. It it definitely you know it's always good for you know for a book to not wrap itself up completely and putting a bow on a story in you know is kind of cliche and whatnot. However. This book had so much um, world building and background information and, and uh, embellishment and everything. It seemed like there should have been another chapter. It was, it was, you know, it was letting you, it was leading you up to that point. You, I kind of you, you want the freeze frame where you find out what happened to all the kids after detention. See, that's yes, why I, yes, I, precisely. Okay, see, I kind of like that they didn't do that for for one reason because they each talked about what they may or may not do with the money if they if they want it, and then. Suddenly they won, and the main character's like, you know, I'm going to split it with all of you because you helped me. That was the deal. And then it ends. And I like that you don't actually see how or what they use it for, if that makes well, any well, sense. Well, that, you know, Cap, that, that chapter will be in the, uh, in the sequel, The Quest for More Money. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, is that I know Ready Player Two. There, there's Luigi. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Klein's got an idea, but I don't actually see... That there's ever, that you know this book no, this book was, was created with a, a it, this book was created with a very specific format a a, for, uh, a premise and a world I don't think you can that, make a sequel right exactly I think it's like a standalone it, it was it was a premise and a world that allowed itself to have exactly one function and tell exactly one kind of story if another story was told in this world it would be very much like the sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Charlie and the Great Great Glass Elevator or Willy Wonka and the Great Gra- Glass Elevator I don't know but it was awful. I is that just, that I, Tim Burton one? I no, that would that is a book by Roald Dahl, and oh, I love Roald Dahl. And the sequel to Charlie and Chocolate Factory is fucking wretched. 
Yep. It's an inexplicable sci-fi story. It makes no sense. The characters are completely out of context, and that would be what the sequel to Ready Player One would be like. So this is the one chance for him to tell the story with these characters and discuss the world and uh, a lack of resolution in at the end of the book, because one of the 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 unspoken character of this book is the world that he set it in and the economical climate and so on. And you want to know what's going to happen. The the thing is, is that the world is so bad that even them winning this. If he were to write another chapter about what they did with the money, you would expect it has to be a happy ending. But it couldn't be in that world, no matter what. They could live their lives, but the world's still fucked. And if he kept trying to write on, he might make some sort of cookie cutter, and then the world was well, fine, and everyone was I, happy. You know, I, I, there's, he doesn't need to solve all the problems yeah. uh, till the end of time in, in, this, in this last chapter, just at least get things started. I mean, basically... But they, it's too complicated of an ending, I think, because... They wanted to help the world, and it would just it would go on. There's there's no easy way to write that in one chapter. Sure, there's no yeah. easy way. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. There's almost there's I mean there's a flip side of that. He could have ended it maybe a chapter earlier because you have that final meeting with Halliday that that kind of linger on the button that shuts everything down, and then it ends. And then it <laughs> ends with him giving Parzival the choice. Because what I think we're running into in the end of this is that we have gotten some sense of closure. You know, he goes outside. I love that by meets, the way that that hidden button. Yeah, I mean, oh that's, God. no, that was genius. That's fucked up. That kind of will he or won't he, ending it right there, leaves you with more questions, leaves you wanting more, but gives you resolution to the story that's been told. The only thing it doesn't wrap up with a pretty little bow is the love story between mm. Parzival and Artemis, which I honestly felt was one of the weakest parts of the book. Totally. Yeah. I have to say, though, being the old softy I am that you know me to be, I absolutely love the last two sentences in the book. No, and it, uh, they were beautiful. I'm not going to deny that. It was a little... It's like this whole thing where he's like a shut and he loves being online and all this stuff, and that's all he has, and then he's just like, and for the first time ever, I don't give a damn about be, like being logged into the Oasis. No, but it's, like, it's basically, we're set up, hey, so I'm this kid, and I have this total crush on this one girl. Oh my gosh, she happens to be at the, uh, the first key right when I'm there. Well, he had a crush on her because she had her own blog and she was super smart and loved all the same things right. in the 80s. But it was, was like an obsessive. It's, it's just a, what a coinky dink. We're at the first key at the same time. And then they're ho- so hopelessly in love with each other and this and that and then the she's in the middle of the maze. Don't worry. It's an easy one. You'll figure it out quickly. <laughs> it's That last chapter she feels She was actually forced. way smarter than him though. That last chapter feels forced and largely unnecessary because it's giving us information we already have and just kind of giving that that self gratification of oh they do wind up together when or, or well I mean, I don't know she's she's still kind of like a flake with image issues you know like it it is I mean it is what it is I don't I don't really I mean they only kissed once I don't really take it to mean much of anything <clears throat> but it, it basically I felt like there could have there could have been more there I felt that the world was what was unresolved like I was I, I was, left, I was like, wanting okay the end of the book obviously should have been like. We won the contest while we were celebrating. We, lost the we did not notice the giant asteroid heading for the Earth, and then all went dark. And that's where it would have ended. <laughs> but it, again, going back to the kind of leaving it on the button thing, kind of leaves the world ambiguous. Kind of leaves it with. I mean, I well, like that. that, that but then, but I mean, then that would, that would piss people off. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. But then you'd be like, well, we never got to the. He really wanted to see Artemis in real life, and he never got there. When are we going to get mm-hmm. to read that part? You would have to put that. You would have to put that. There, there because he was waiting half the there, book. There was, to be like, I need to meet because this there would person. be no character resolution. Yeah. Um, right. And if if that happened, because and, and right now I mean, there's still not enough character. I like that he achieved God mode. I was like. Hells yeah! Do anything, help anywhere, fuck money. Bam! Highest <laughs> level. Spells you ain't got. Dead character, dead character, fuck you. 
Like, I love it. That last chapter, that part was so good because I, I did feel that sense of resolution. I felt mm-hmm. like this is what we had built toward. And well, I mean, I would even argue that there would still be some character resolution simply because he's, there's a lot of himself in Halliday and it's Halliday telling him, you don't need the Oasis, that I spent too much of my life on this, don't be like me. And to right. have had him unplug and leave, I'm not necessarily saying linger on the button itself, like, will he press it? What he's saying is don't spend your life on World of Warcraft, people, because you're just going to get fat and lazy sitting there and you're going to have health problems. You're not going to enjoy it. So Watch I think the episode of Star Wars. brother met his wife there, so that's weird, but you know, whatever. I mean, South Park kind of summed that up, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. Anyway, let's cut to a song. Let's, uh, and when we get back, we're going to read an excerpt of one of our favorite parts of Ready Player One. DJ RoboRob was in a synth-pop band called Robotronica, and one of the songs they covered was Dead or Alive's Spin Me Right Round, and I thought that'd be appropriate for this here episode. The video game Dead or Alive? I hate you. No, No, it is. It's just a Dead or Alive disc, because it spins right round. God damn it, I hate everything. Sorry.
had a, an interesting little tidbit uh, dropped on us from one of uh, one of our friends in the forums, Gary Ur. Colin, what, uh, what what was up with that? Gary Ur pointed out that the biggest misstep for Klein was the Tomb of Horrors section. "Quote: Klein clearly did not read the module; he just skimmed <laughs> the wiki." What? Yeah, Aserak is just a floating skull. No body. He doesn't appear on the cover of the module. What Klein was describing was the decoy zombie that appears earlier in the tomb. What Wade claimed to have already bested. It's a minor thing, especially when you compare it to the rest of the nerdy novel, but it bugged the crap out of me when I read it. And when it's a book all about the mundane nerdy details. And nitpicking and having read something back to back, cover to cover. And that's what nerd culture is all about right there. Yeah. And that's the catch-22. He did mention, I think he mentioned in the book that when this lich thing appeared that he wasn't supposed to be there, didn't he? He was like, this isn't supposed to be there. But he he described, he described something that was not what was actually a Sarah rack. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, it was send a, all your emails to Ernest Klein. <laughs> gmail. No, but it's 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 a catch twenty two that he wrote himself into, considering the fact that like you know he's writing this nerdy novel, so you know you're going to be fact checked by a million people. Do you think he just Wikipedia like the eighties and just looked at every possible note <laughs> and reference and just like I'm throwing everything in this fucking book? Like, uh, yes. what kind of vehicle is he coming at? Delorean, uh, Ghostbusters, uh, no, it says Ecto one on it. That's that's all. That's all easy peasy, right yeah. off the cuff stuff. <laughs> but there were a lot of references I didn't get, like some of the old Japanese shows and stuff. So. He must have known some, unless he Wikipedia 80s Japanese shows. You can assume that he has. We a, can do this all day, yeah, but I, I shouldn't because I like the book. <laughs> so it's a good book regardless. Overall, do we recommend Ready Player One? Yes. 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 Does it, does Are you it me? get I the c- Aunt Nancy seal of approval? <laughs> and yeah. how? Yes. <laughs> it gets four out of five elements. Oh, that's pretty good. Coming well, and see, the thing is, is, like, normally I can't finish a book because it's boring. So the only books I read are about birds, but this I couldn't put down. So obviously it's good if it got my attention. I get bored really fucking easily. Mm-hmm. So. But you don't have to take our word for it. And now a reading from Ready Player One. My chances of surviving one-on-one combat with a demi-lich were non-existent. My wimpy plus one flaming sword couldn't even affect him and the two magic rubies in his eye sockets had the power to suck out my avatar's life force and kill me instantly. Even a party of six or seven high-level avatars would have a difficult time defeating him. I silently wished, not for the last time, that the Oasis was like an old adventure game that I could save my place, but it wasn't, and I couldn't. If my avatar died, it would mean starting over with nothing. But there was no point in hesitating now. If the Lich killed me, I would come back tomorrow night and try again. The entire tomb should reset when the Oasis server clock struck midnight. If it did, all the hidden traps I disarmed would reset themselves and the treasure and magic items would reappear. I tapped the record icon at the edge of my display so that whatever happened next would be stored in a vidcap file I could play back and study later. But when I tapped the icon, I got a recording not allowed message. It seemed that Holiday had disabled recording inside the tomb. I took a deep breath, raised my sword, and placed my right foot on the bottom step of the dais. As I did, there was a sound like cracking bones as Asrax slowly lifted his head. The rubies in his eye sockets began to glow with an intense red light. I took several (laughs) steps backward, expecting him to leap down and attack me, but he didn't rise from the throne. Instead, he lowered his head and fixed me with his chilling gaze. Greetings, Parzival! He said in a rasping voice. What is it that you seek? This caught me off guard. According to the module, the lich wouldn't speak. He was just supposed to attack, leaving me with no choice but to kill him or run for my life. I seek the copper key! I replied. Uh, Then I remembered I was speaking to a king. 
So I quickly bowed my head, dropped to one knee, and added, Your Majesty! <laughs> of course you do! Asarak said, motioning for me to rise. And you've come to the right place! He stood, and his mummified skin crackled like old leather as he moved. I clutched my sword more tightly, and still anticipating an attack. How can I know that you are worthy of possessing the copper key? He asked. Holy shit! How the hell was I supposed to answer that? And what if I gave the wrong answer? Would he suck out my soul and incinerate me? I racked my brain for a suitable reply. The best I could come up with was... Uh, allow me to <laughs> prove my worth, noble Asterix! <laughs> the lich let out a long and disturbing cackle that echoed off the chamber's stone walls. <laughs> He said, You shall prove your worth by facing me in a joust! I'd never heard of an undead Lich King challenging someone with a joust, especially not in a subterranean burial chamber. Uh, oh, all right! I said uncertainly. <laughs> but won't we be needing horses for that? Not horses! He replied, stepping away from his throne. Birds, motherfucker! He waved a skeletal hand at his throne. There was a brief flash of light, accompanied by a transformation sound effect, which I was pretty sure had been lifted from the old Super Friends cartoon. The throne melted and morphed into an old coin-operated video game cabinet. Two joysticks protruded from its console panel, one yellow and one blue. I couldn't help but grin, as I realized the name on the game's backlit marquee. Joust. Williams Electronics, 1982. Best two out of three games! Asarak rasped. If you win, I shall grant you what you seek. What if you win? I asked, already knowing the answer. Well, if I am victorious, the lich said, the rubies in his eye sockets blazing even brighter. Then you shall die! A ball of swirling orange flame appeared in his right hand. He raised it threateningly. Of course! I said. That was my first guess! Just wanted to double check! <laughs> <laughs> The fireball in Asrak's hand vanished. He stretched out his leathery palm, which now held two shiny quarters. The games are on me! He said. He stepped up to the joust machine and dropped both quarters into the left coin slot. The game emitted two low electronic chimes and the credit counter jumped from zero to two. Asrak took hold of the yellow joystick on the left side of the control panel and closed his bony fingers around it. Art thou ready? He croaked. Yeah! <laughs> I said, taking a deep breath. I cracked my knuckles and grabbed the player two joystick with my left hand, poising my right hand over the flap button. Asrak rocked his head from left to right, cracking his neck. It sounded like a snapping tree branch. Then he slapped the two-player button, and the joust began. But don't take my word for it. All right, let's give some shout-outs to some amazing people. First and foremost, everybody who commented on the forums and joined us in reading along with this book. The members who participated on the forum posting for Ready Player One were Starf, Studio Malam, Durfago, Mopkins, Garrier, Tolan, Cassie Muldrow, and Hatching Phoenix. Such a nice guy, that Hatching Phoenix. Is he a brother of Joaquin Phoenix? No. <laughs> well, one's Joaquin, However, he, no. he, and one's Hatching. No. And, I just like Hatching. No. He and puts himself out in the river, Phoenix. <laughs> and of course nerdy show uh both the podcast and the network are listener supported you make this show possible and we couldn't do it without you so far the month of march 2013 has been insane you guys are 
the fucking bees' knees. Bees don't, don't have knees. They do now because our fans gave them to them. Bees have like two knees on all six of their legs. They got <laughs> knees. Knees require bones. <laughs> they have external bones. Interesting. They want those support perks, man. I, I guess they do, and we've got some hot. I support listened perks. to some of them, and they were hilarious. We got with the the new one for this month. The uh, the first one that is until we. Uh, well, actually, we've got two so far. Uh, you guys, you guys hit our initial three hundred dollar goal, our monthly goal to just our, get our bare minimum costs in in three days or so. It was nuts. So we've got uh, two support uh, support perks out there right now. A twenty minute long selection of outtakes from our Nerdy Show Prime episode, Mask Justice. Twenty minutes. What? It's uh, it's that's uh, kind of insane. It, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> also. The thing that was unlocked by you guys was a selection of celebrity and nerdy show in-house bumps from uh, from that other nerdy radio station we used to run. Now, uh, of course, right now we've got Nerdy FM. It's a 24-7 nerd music station, and that also is something that you guys support with your wonderful, wonderful hard-earned money, which you so generously give to us. We love you uh, all. We, we give back in, in any way we, we can think to the new podcasts, uh, Nerdy Show, Nerdy FM, and all the support perks that you get in the mail. And we got to give shout-outs to everybody who's contributed so far. If you guys leave messages with us when you don't when you support us, well, then we read them. That's how it goes. Unless it's like 10 pages long, because we have to be realistic about well, it. Well, maybe. It depends if it's a, <laughs> is it a good 10 pages. I mean, because, you know, we could. Bonus perk. If you want, 10 page. Learn grammar and sentence structure. If, if you guys want us to uh, to give any shout-outs to anybody special in your life or anything else, you can be like, Yo, Sandra, it's your birthday. This one goes out to the wonderful Alicia from Nerdy Show to you. Oh yeah. Yes, or we you, can be bought. Yeah. Or you can be like, I have a crush on blah blah girl seventy two on Facebook. This is for you. I, I assume it's not going to be like you know a roller rink DJ callouts, but it could be. No, it, could, you want. it totally could be. You know, spe- special. You got a special somebody you wanted to say something to, or or do like something, I'm blah blah blah, or, and my penis or, or, is twelve inches long. Or do something long. to. <laughs> Well, when we get done to come back, DJ he'll do his Wolfman Jack. What? I have a problem with the roller with roller DJs. I have a problem with roller skate DJs because when I was ten, they called out like you know only uh, ten and up skate, and I was and I went to go skate, and the guys were like, "Nope, can't do it," because I looked too young, and they're like, "Nope, can't do it," and and I was pissed. So I threw my skate. I threw my skate at the DJ. <laughs> you are a little bastard. I'm, I'm gonna say and that I seems got to be let out of the roller rink and was never allowed back. <laughs> that seems to be less of a problem with the DJ, Colin, and more of a problem with you and God I and him not 10, letting you grow. Damn it, and he was gonna know. <laughs> and that was a ten year old arm throwing that that skate. You should have showed him your ID. Did you hit him? <laughs> No, I was not. If I was 11, I would have hit him. I like how we banned a 10 year old for life because he was upset. It's like, well, you know what, 10 year old? Never come back. Get out of here. I just picture you getting thrown across into a dumpster and then you have to crawl out and walk home. No, you see, that would only work though if Colin looked the same for the rest of his. Oh. Oh, he does. <laughs> Can you still get into that 10 and up night? Or no? Has that still been no, a problem? No, they still won't let me. <laughs> I have an ID and everything, and they keep saying it's fake. That's right. You're nine, kid. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm 30. You're nine, you bastard. So that was a heck of a diversion. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, thanks to Dumpstat, Mauron, Nova Nerds, Sean. <laughs> Sean Red, Big Bad Shadow Man, Kevin Wise, Trench 88, and Walt Ribeiro. And Walt Ribeiro of Four Orchestra. 
who uh, who recently guest starred on a uh, in an interview on Mark with a C's The Real Congregation. Actually, that's worth talking about. This week's Real Congregation is in fact a nerdy show microsode transformed into a full two hour episode of The Real Congregation. It was a uh, request by Jeffrey Voss because every hundred dollar mark when you donate to us. You, uh, you get to choose a microsode topic for us to talk about. Jeffrey Voss wanted Mark with a C to talk about cover songs, and, and he said, hey, possibly uh, Walt Ribeiro from 4 Orchestra could be on that episode. And uh, Mark said, you know what, dude? That sounds like a good idea. How about I just make it a whole episode? And so it happened. It came to pass. <laughs> it's not unusual for a 15 to 30 minute episode to run two hours. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there it is. It, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, thanks, thanks to everybody. Thanks to, thanks to Walt for supporting us. That's really cool. And uh, we got uh, we got some words. We, you guys, you folks, had some things to say. Malron said, "As a range of, <laughs> we all love him. We love him so much. And he's my number one son, though. He is your number one son. You're his daddy, and he sprang from your boing loins. <laughs> your boing loins. See, boing loins. I've never. I like that. I never heard it before. Boing loins. Hey, Hex, how your boing loins doing? It's funny every time." Hex Crotch. <laughs> Hex Crotch represent. Uh, as the range of content and regularity God. of its release continues, I want to increase my monthly subscription fee as the value of what you guys are delivering increases. Keep up the great work. Malron is a peach. But that's terrible because that means if we ever slip or get lazy or do shit, he will decrease the amount he is. <laughs> well, the pressure, no. So we need to not the, the suck. The pressure's on. We can't let our number one son down. No, we can't. Um, Malron is a really is a really rad dude who uh, who loves what we put out so much that he considers that he pays a subscription fee, and that's that's cool. That's essentially what he does. We, we will never ask that of you, but no. um, Malron, yeah, you're near our number one son. You're amazing. Nova Nerds is a blog from uh, the uh, Tri-State Virginia, D.C., Maryland area. They contributed to us and they said, Way overdue and happily sent. You guys have been and continue to be amazing throughout the years. Thanks so much for the content. See you soon. Yours always, Nova Nerds. See you soon. That's, uh, that's kind of ominous. Are they going to show yeah. up? Well, I mean, if, for example, I, I assume they were probably at MAGFest with you, Hex. Oh, Well, there's something possible. I've got to tell you guys. In this closet next to us, what you haven't known the whole time... Is that they've been in here and let me get them oh out. Oh my for you. god. Brandon, <laughs> get him out. Brandon, you let didn't me feed get him. Brandon, you didn't feed them. Brandon, out. oh, oh the shit. You're supposed to feed them. <laughs> oh shit. So when you have surprise guests you keep in the closet for several days because you're, you're not really sure when the recording's going to happen, make sure you leave them food and a way to get out of the Man, closet. I, I, but now they're just skeletons, and I'm I, a, I feel little, bad. I'm a little embarrassed. That's I mean, actually I've been I've been taking whores in this recording the, studio. There's, there's, I am actually I am disturbed because decomposition doesn't work that fast. No, no, there's for, for them to be skeletons now. There must have been something wrong with them Nova nerds. No, there's spiders and ants in this house. Lots oh wow! Of them. <laughs> big big bad shadow man. He uh, he contributed to us and he said, "I have a long list of ideas of my, for microsodes and I want to get some of them out." <laughs> and we have a long list of ideas for your microsodes that we still will be recording and releasing as the, as the, as the year goes on. But we're always happy to take on more. It's wonderful fun. He also contributed again and said, "Here's ten bucks for for the best Pokeballs of Steelix so far." Aww. Yeah. Aww. Loved how everyone pretty much lost their shit as the <laughs> shit hit the fan. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> or uh. Part two. Yeah, we, oh, we, we recorded uh, two episodes at once by accident, and it was uh, just that good. Yeah. Did you uh, did you uh, hear how they ended the cliffhanger? No. It's with James C. dangling the cigar 
over the the inside the um gas tank of the van well you know this the way jamesy works with everything be disappointed because <laughs> <laughs> nothing jamesy does that looks like it's about to be badass ever works because everyone hates it. however if you want something set on fire clearly you have to look to martin <laughs> <sighs> rolls rolls get reversed cats and dogs living together mass hysteria yeah kevin weiss said I found some money. I found I found more money. Take it. <laughs> I like it. I like the way he works. He finds money and shoves it at people. So long as we're those people. And Trench88 said... Oh, you boss. Uh, yeah, he is. He is a boss. Figure you've got D&D comic costs or some other cool project in the works. And he made a very, very generous contribution. Trench88 has contributed so much to the show that he is, in fact, a legit producer of the show. He's now. great. And he just bought a motorcycle. He did. I think. He might be coming to Megacon to visit us. Woo! Oh, that's awesome. Yay. Yeah. Hooray. Is he, is, has he reached status beyond boss? Is he now a Hugo boss? He he might be a... <laughs> He's um, a boss Nova nerd. What, no? Hugo boss? No. no. I don't know. I don't... I don't. You know, Hugo boss is a joke, but I don't know if it's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was... He was a mini boss. Now he's a boss. And then he will be final boss? Final... Well, he could be a final boss. All right. Yeah, anyway, Trench 88 is a king. A true king and a prince. And you can't... Uh, you can't. You can't be a true king and a prince. You, well, you were—he was a prince, and now he's a king. Okay, okay. And and we are we are working on D and D issue two. It should be out sometime uh, in the near future, about the in the qu- the quarter within the quarter within the quarter. Yeah, yeah. As well as uh, the uh, the chair mini comic, Chair's Last Stand, which is about Chair's final battle. So we're very excited about that, and we do have a lot of cool projects coming. So this is a project that we've been kind of kicking around for a little while now, and we just found out how much it would cost. And uh, though it's a lot, it's actually surprisingly cheap for what it is. Uh, as you might remember, last year, Hex was VMAC. He was dressed as VMAC at Megacon, and, uh, and it was incredible. Um, but a pretty easy thing to do, because Hex and VMAC are relatively the same size. Yeah, I I'll, just had to get a mohawk and some face paint and the costume. Easy to, easily done. But here's the thing about Jamela. One, she's a creature of fiction. Two, we are not the same person. And uh, we think. Well, uh, definitely not the same body well, type. Well, the other option would be getting Barty, but we can't really do that because Colin's up in Nashville. And uh, and Brian is in Virginia. And, and probably uh, never, ever, ever going to wear a costume. Oh, someday I'll, someday, someday I will chloroform him happen. and he'll wake up with horns attached to his forehead. <laughs> and maybe, you, maybe a bit more. I'm um, willing to wear a Vajazzle costume and go around on all fours as Vajazzle. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. I will do it. Oh, that would be delightful. I will do it. <laughs> So uh, here's here's the thing. We want to make a Jamela puppet. We found a connection that uh, knows where to get a decent puppet made, and it costs five hundred bucks. That's not bad. Like like a ventriloquist, no, like like a Muppet, like a, like, like a oh. Henson puppet. The the Muppet I could compare it to best would be say Uncle Deadly. If you remember Uncle Deadly, the the weird. What the fuck is Uncle Deadly? He's a weird dragon ghost Muppet from the Muppets. The movie. He's blue and he's got whiskers. All I remember is Eureka's castle. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uncle Deadly. Yeah, in in the in the new Muppets film, he was a sidekick to uh, Chris Cooper's character. Mm. Anyway, um, that's beside the point. Basically, a Jamela puppet and uh, five hundred bucks. And uh, uh, if you guys want to contribute towards that, we can make some videos with her. Jamela can finally make public appearances. She can Ooh. finally go out and do her thing. So that that's that's on the table. If you guys want to contribute to that, that's the next stretch goal. And if you if you reach it, not only will we make this Jamela puppet, but we'll also release another cool nerdy perk. So, uh, what are you guys reading right now? Do you have a chance to read anything else? I've just been reading this book, Ready Player One. I've been reading the... I, for Christmas, uh, wife got me Adam Hughes' covers book, and while, yes, it's a lot of pretty pictures in it, 
It's also kind of autobiographical because it's kind of taking you through his career as a cover artist. It's kind of cool to see, say, his thoughts on why he was taken off of Wonder Woman right before the 500th issue. Is it a biography or like an autobiography? Okay. In, a, in a way, in a way. That's really cool. I didn't know that book was out. I love Adam Hughes's art. No, nah, his, the, I'll, I'll have to show it to you sometime because the, his cover work is so gorgeous and it takes mm-hmm. you through his whole process, his thought into why he did it this way, how much he really, he hated drawing Catwoman at first and grew to really love the covers that he had done with that, his influences. So it's this weird kind of pseudo autobiography, autobiography while also being a lot of pinups. That's cool. After reading Ready Player One, I, I took a trip to Pittsburgh to go see Pittsburgh Batman. Woo! Uh, I might add, it was amazing. Uh, absolutely incredible. And, did he uh, throw an exploding football? He, he did, you know, he, during the play, he didn't throw an exploding football, but he did kiss a transvestite catwoman. Oh, that's, that's normal. That's normal for him. <laughs> I, I read the novelization of Willow. It's a novel by Waylon Drew based on a screenplay by Bob Dolman from a story by George Lucas. What? <laughs> Why would you? Why? What's the point? That's why? A lot of filters to well, go through. Because because one, I wanted to see what would happen when you re- when you read a novel based on a screenplay based on a story, but also <laughs> because I'm doing it, uh, research for Willow Watch, and you know what? Willow Watch. This was not necessarily the disposable text that I thought it was going to be. Mm. In fact, there may be a lot here that speaks from a, a bigger picture of Willow than, uh, than we initially suspected. Maybe a three-hour version of the film instead of a two-and-a-half-hour version. So you're saying there's more stuff in that book? There's than, a, look, than... you see all these, uh, these little dog ears in here? I made a lot of notes. And uh, next uh, State of the Empire, when, uh, if we have enough time for a long Willow watch, I might drop some truth bombs about the world of Willow that we didn't know. Aw, shit. You heard it here first. What about you, Colin? I have actually, you know, honestly, after I read uh, Ready Player One, it was around the time when uh, Mike had died, it, it, the one year anniversary. I had all these books that he that I guess I inherited from him and things like, you know, Magic Boy and the Robot Elf, Quit Your Job, you know, uh, Goodbye Chunky Rice. And they were all great and said on my Facebook that he continues to, Mike continues to recommend good books to me even after he dies. But the book that really stood out to me, he had this little, this little volume. Uh, it's called The Stuff of Legend. And so it's, it, these, these have all been uh, graphic novels, actually. Yes, they've all been graphic novels, honestly. And, and, and this kind of creeps into, into comic land, but I don't care. But he, uh, The Stuff of Legend is a graphic novel that is in the same style of Mouse Guard in terms of it's a square, a children's book-like format. And this, is, this book is called uh, The Stuff of Legend. It's ongoing currently, and it's written by uh, Mike Reicht and uh, Brian Smith, and it's illustrated by Charles Paul Wilson III. It is an amazing <coughs> book the the basically the premise as soon as i started reading it i was like oh okay the premise is there's a boy and he has these toys whom in the very first couple panels the boy is pulled into his closet by these black tentacles who end up being the boogeyman go on yeah and the um and it's like horrific this boy it's like the tentacles wrapping around his face like they're pulling him in it's he's clutching his bed and he's trying to uh uh, reach the all of his toys and stuff reaching out to them and they are all like lifeless and no not able to help him as he's pulled into his closet so hentai yeah, yeah, it kind of, honestly. After the boy gets pulled into the closet, the toys come to life, and they describe how they weren't able to help him, and etc. And there is a piggy bank, a jack-in-a-box, a teddy bear, a couple different, uh, a soldier, a toy soldier, 
and they all decide to go into what's called the dark into the closet to then find the boy and save him for the boogeyman. I'm pretty sure you're describing the plot to Toy Story 4. Yes, yes. And I was like, (laughs) okay, fine, Toy Story, great. This is, okay, it's just a ripoff of Toy Story. But then when they go into the closet, it goes mid-battle of the Marine being an actual Marine with a bayonet stabbing someone and the teddy bear being this huge ferocious bear ripping the armies of the boogeyman to shreds like it is amazing everything uh, basically all of the toys turn into their real life counterparts so a piggy bank is just a pig, a pig. running around yes exactly so he's lame <laughs> does he shit the like pig- money Yeah, he has money in him and stuff like that. But the thing is that he's constantly worried that he's going to break. And so the boogeyman actually comes and tries to turn the piggy bank against them because once the basically the way that it's described is that the boogeyman is like, okay, well, your boy loved you and so on and so forth. But what's he going to do to you at the end when he's done with you? He breaks me. Does Does Voltron go in the closet at some point? No, no, it's nothing like that. But the art is amazing and it's ongoing. They just released an omnibus, which has the first two books, The Dark and the Jungle together. And that's and that's what after I read this small uh, first volume that came out, I got the omnibus and it is not to be missed. Like this is this is the series that everyone's going to be like, holy fuck, I wish I was reading this when it was happening. I'm serious. It's that good. That's so, right. You cool. heard it from Colin. This is yeah. serious. You heard <laughs> it. You don't want to miss this. Yeah. The we stuff did recommend Ready Player One. Yeah. The stuff of legend is amazing, but you don't have to take my word for it. So, Neuromancer by William Gibson. This book is a book that's been on my to read list for a long time. Same here. It is uh, massively important in the world of science fiction, and it's important to all of us here in ways that uh, you probably don't realize. Well, as a neuromancer, aren't they just someone who raises minds back from the dead? <laughs> Makes no? sense to me. It's like necromancer, but neuro... Okay. No, 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 no. Neuro would be brain. Mancer would be magic. The necro, the coming back from the dead, comes necro. from necro. Ah, uh, I see. I'm an idiot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. So, uh, how old is this book? This book was made in 1984. It essentially is the ultimate text for all of cyberpunk. I'm talking about any cyberpunk wow. you've ever read or experienced. It happened simultaneous to Blade Runner, and they are equally as relevant, but this one perhaps even more so because this book is where the term cyberspace was coined. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, shit. See, I didn't know that. Uh, This book defined how people have considered and written about the internet before the internet was even something that the average, you know, the general populace understood or could could contemplate. And admittedly, it's done in a way that's more similar to Ready Player One, because it's sort of a future version of the internet. This is in a dystopian future, far beyond where we, well, beyond where we are now, not too far. It's, you know, it's a place of of noir and neon and grit and grime, a sprawl of, of technology that's gone kind of out of control. And a world that exists within the mainframes of now, computers. Now, well, I like it because I get bored really easily. In a way, it's practically written in another language, but it's one you pick up really quickly. It, do- it happens without challenge. You dive straight into this world, and it's jarring for about a page, and then you realize what's going on. This is the book where they talk in weird accents. I think you're thinking of maybe uh, Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange. It's not as bad as Clockwork Orange. Oh, and it's, and it's definitely not like Ridley Walker. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking of. Everyone's uh, like, "Hey, day by day by day." Yeah, no, it's it's this is not this is this is not Ridley Walker. This is this is something that's a bit more comprehensible by by a long shot. And you and reading it, you will be like, "Holy crap!" 
This is where everything came from. This is like, this is Warren Ellis's Bible. This is where Transmetropolitan came from. This book has informed everything that's come after it. It's in, I'm, I'm only a quarter into this book. And by the second chapter, I realized you could, you could just, you can tell, oh my God, this is such a thoroughly realized vision of the future. It's incredible that he was able to put this together because everyone who's followed him have used this as a reference point, but it's a very well thought out, very well considered thing. And it is, um, it's the basis for, for a lot. This is an essential, this is an essential sci-fi text. It got uh, the Hugo, the Nebula and the Philip K. Dick award. Nebula is pretty big. When I, when I first watched High Noon, I didn't think much of it. And then when someone explained to me, well, this is the first movie that it was ever in real time. It really had impact. And I can imagine someone reading this now would go, well, what's so big about this? It's just another cyberpunk. No, this is where it all came from. This is the first. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you describe it, I'm also, I'm kind of thinking back to Casablanca when you think about that hard noir, the he's looking at you, kid, the Humphrey Bogart, the essential Humphrey Bogart that has been parodied and sent off in every noir type film that's come after it. You watch Casablanca and it's like, man, it's a decent film. It's a good film, but you don't realize, realize that, that, that was like, a new thing. Shit. No, no, you don't watch Casablanca and go, that's oh, a good film. You go watch Casablanca and go, holy fuck, this is an amazing movie. I don't that's watch black movie. and white films. They're boring, Colin. God. Boring. So basically, if somebody made a movie of Neuromancer, they would go like, it, it would have really shitty marketing and nobody would see it. <laughs> well, presumably someone must have tried to make it in the past in all these decades that have passed. But the thing is, it is hackers. A, it is a story that, uh, yeah, hackers, hackers, <laughs> hackers about as close as they've come. And probably hackers use this book as a reference point for their fictional flawed version of what internet hacking was like <laughs> in the 1990s. Making a movie of this so far would be more or less impossible. Like it, there's so much that happens within the computer that it's not, it's not Tron, you know, you'd have to come up with some kind of phony visualization of it and it would be hard to do the layering of the world. It's too complex. Maybe only now are we getting closer to doing it, but then we end up with game. We have games now like watchdogs and so on. They are presenting alternate versions of the same sort of concept. And I don't know, there was actually a Neuromancer game on, you know, the old computer systems of the time in the Hmm. 80s. Uh, but it was very simple. It was, you know, point was it one and of those like puzzle point and click games. Yeah, oh, I love those. Maybe it, it's available. Maybe it was good. I don't know. Either way, maybe maybe this would be better as a video game. Maybe movies aren't the format for it. I don't know. Or maybe it's good as a book only. But uh, if, if you needed any more reason to get excited about it, here's what the back of the book says. Case was the sharpest data thief in the Matrix until an ex-employer crippled his nervous system. Now, a new employer has recruited him for a last chance run against an unthinkably powerful artificial intelligence. With a mirror-eyed girl street samurai riding shotgun, he's ready for the silicon quick, bleakly prophetic adventure that upped the ante on an entire genre of fiction. I think yeah, it's been done. Now, you say that, you say that, uh, you say that uh, Neuromancer coined the phrase of cyber... Space. Space. And possibly did Neuromancer. It, did it also... <laughs> coin the phrase of cyber sex because then i'd be really interested <laughs> i haven't quite gotten there yet but um uh. all the sex has been irl so far a boring i know then disgusting that's lame <laughs> um well but you know that remains i want to stick my dick in my hard drives <laughs> well, i've been doing that for years you don't need permission to do that why are you sticking your dick in his hard drives because why are you raping hard drives if you're not getting permission it's not consensual because guys. i like warm and dry do you have a problem with that yeah, man, that, that little clicky uh, thing going back and forth on my dick. I love it. I like when I open the disk drive and like for the CDs oh, and the DVDs and I put my penis in the little hole and then I close it. 
<laughs> I let it close on its own, and then it gets stuck, and then it does that thing where it's like stuck, and then it opens again, and then it just keeps going back and forth. Boy, just it, just imagine that. that. Just close your eyes and fun. think of that. Does the sounds, laser ever spin I, up? So I just put my testicles in there and crush that them. That sounds real fun. Hex, how can we how can we possibly make this more fun? With a song, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, with a party. With a dead man's party. Oh. So, in Ready Player One, during Halliday's send-off video, he actually kicks it off with the song Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo. And that, was, like I mentioned, was the moment that made me just realize that this was a book for me. As a massive Oingo Boingo fanboy, it would be remiss if I did not at least showcase some Boingo Boingo. What I have is from the amazing 2007 tribute album called uh, Drink to Bones That Turned to Dust. This is Intervision and their rendition of Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo. Thanks everybody for tuning into this episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. Pick up uh, William Gibson's Neuromancer and uh, read along with us for the uh, next episode. If you want to check out any of the books that uh, we talked about in this episode, we'll have them all linked on this episode's page. And if you purchase them through our Amazon links, well, that does help out the show. Yay. Uh, so please do. Please do indeed. If you like what you heard, feel free to support the show. That would mean a lot to us. And thank you so much for listening to Nerdy Show Book Club. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Hex. Bye, I'm Tony. Bye, I'm Brandon. Bye, I'm Colin. Oingo Boing Loins. Oingo, <laughs> oingo Boing Loin. Oingo Boingo Loingo. Yeah, that's where that's where Malron came from. Oingo Boingo <laughs> Boing Loing. Oingo I can't even say it. Try Oingo saying Boing Loins. Try saying it like like five times. Oingo Boing Loing. Just do it. No. Oingo Boing Loings. Oingo Boing Loings. Oingo Boing Loings. Oingo Boing Loings. You're just drowning. Colin, you're drowning on the words. Try doing it, Cap. Oingo Boing Loings. Faster. You gotta do like Oingo Boing Loings. 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 You know what? Whatever. Okay, you I'm, just, I'm better than you. you. Got perfect I'm at better than things. you. My brain can't keep up. Right. Uncle Moyle loins. We Uncle done? Moyle? We done, gentlemen? We're done. Do a body when no one's still alive.
for listening to the Nerdy Show Book Club. The uh, Nerdy Show Book Club is brought to you by a comic shop, Nerdapalooza, Play and Trade Ovido, and listeners like yourselves. If you enjoyed what you heard, support Nerdy Show by telling a friend, picking up some merch at the Nerdy Store, or support us with your hard-earned pounds and receive exclusive perks. For more episodes of Nerdy Show Book Club, Nerdy Show Dungeons and Dratos, videos, contests, and other nerdy programming, please visit nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes Store. Follow us on Facebook or Tumblr or Twitter or at Nerdy Show. And get social with other Nerdy Show nerds at nerdyshow.com slash forums. <laughs> but uh, don't take our word for it. <laughs> <laughs> take mine! You, go- you beat me, Lord Aceract Elias! And boom, headshot, straight away I was killed by the the bird. Well, that's the way I do it, young squire. All right, what's next? They fled me. (laughs) And they lived happily ever after. Sweet baby Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet baby Jesus. Sweet.